Hello, this is Tom Pastello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, insights, advice, and community to foster a better sales, content, and value enablement practice. My guests today are two pioneers in financial and value selling, and I'm excited to announce our co-authors of the new book, Insight-Led Selling, Adopt an Executive Mindset, Build Credibility, and Communicate with Impact. First, I'd love to introduce you to Melody Astley. She's currently the Chief Revenue Officer for Finlistics Solutions, and she's former Gartner and IBM alum, and Dr. Stephen Tomei. President and founder of Finlistic Solutions, Stevens, also a member of the Forbes Business Development Council, where we both serve. And before founding Finlistics, uh, Stephen was a professor at Emory University here in Atlanta, uh, an adjunct professor at the Georgia Institute of Technology. And he's also been a consultant for numerous Fortune 500 companies, Evolvers. We are really excited to introduce you today to Melody and Stephen. Hello, good to be here. Hello, Evolvers. Awesome. Thanks, Tom, and, and keep evolving, Evolvers. Exactly. You know the tagline already, Stephen. Great that you've done your homework there. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited to announce the, the book, uh, Insight-Led Selling and the Launch, which I think was just last week. You know, sellers are definitely looking to improve their virtual selling game and remote selling, and there's a bunch of new challenges that have really been amplified through this pandemic. So, shoot, you couldn't have come out with a better time for a book release and people are hungry for advice and hungry to fuel that growth mindset. Yeah, that was our COVID project, Tom. We, we said, we're going to write a book and uh, kept talking about it, talking about it. Then COVID came and we're out of the airports. We're at our desks. So write a book. So we did. Awesome. Awesome. Exactly. You couldn't have uh, kind of picked a better time and better use of that time during the pandemic. Right lockdown, definitely. So in this new world, sellers are definitely having to do more prospecting and outreach. So we'll kind of start at the beginning of the, of the buyer's journey in the sales cycle. We know that as that outreach is occurring, though, it's really difficult to get buyer's attention. But one of the good things is Forrester says 86% of buyers take the time to listen if their salesperson can provide meaningful insights about their business. And this leads us to kind of an insight-led approach uh, to kind of help the seller break through the noise. Stephen, talk about how you recommend sellers use insights in this initial stage of the journey, kind right, of just right. getting buyers' attention. Yeah, yeah and, and Tom, not to be plugging the book, but one of the unique parts about it is we interviewed about a dozen buying execs and for pretty high well-known companies. One of those was Steve Clancy. He's a CIO at Georgia Pacific. And to, to answer this question, one of the first things he said is, tell the seller to bring me something fresh. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you know, if you bring Steve something fresh, let's say that initial outreach or other executives, we heard this over and over and over again, tell me something I don't know. So the point being is that, all right, so, so you know, form a point of view. So for example, do you know their goals and strategies? And, and our, our research, not to sound negative, at Finlistics and talking to many, many sellers, they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, the, what keeps you awake at night? Here's, so first of all, find out they're publicly traded. 
you know, what are their goals? So for example, uh, right now, a lot of consumer products companies and pharmaceutical companies are saying, we want to take a lot of cost out of the business. And they tell you, is it supply chain? Is it, you know, SGNA where it's coming to, to put it back in the business to grow it? So, oh, okay. Well, think about how you can help them take out the cost as an example. So the point is the first thing, know their goals and strategies, know how they're performing financially. We heard this again from the execs. If I'm publicly traded, you ought to know, you know, if my growth is going up, my margins are going down. Don't give me a financial history lesson, but, you know, make some observations about that. Uh, you know, why does this give me insights into these new goals I've got? So the publicly traded know how they're, uh, they're performing, not, and not a lot. You don't have, to have an MBA in finance to do this. And then my, the third area that I like, which most sellers don't do, is called executive compensation. I want to know how Tom's comped. And so when I reach out to him, I say, hey, Tom, I know you're competent on earnings per share, but I certainly want to bring that into the conversation that, hey, I think I've got some ways to help improve your earnings per share. So know the goals. How are they doing financially? How are they compensated? But tell me how how, not how much yet, tell me how you might be able to help me do some of those things better. Awesome. Melody, any advice there? I know that you yourself do outreach and particularly to executives and, you know, it is harder to connect. I think every executive out there, I know myself, I get way more outreach and the outreach that I get tends to be very, very low value add. A lot of it is, hey, I've got this great product. Do you want to meet and get a demo? <laughs> No, I don't know the last executive that actually kind of sat through a demo unless it was way, way down the road and they're doing some kind of diligence. So talk about that a little bit of how you use insights yourself in, in engaging. Well, it's it's basic blocking and tackling, really. It's it comes down to if you're going to ask your customer to spend money with you, isn't it? on you to understand how they make money, what are they caring about, what are they going to strategically invest in and how you can help them. It's just so, you know, counterintuitive not to do the research, but, you know, to understand, not just be comfortable with, this is my buying center, this is my buddy, I'm just gonna go to him or her and, and do all my deals through them. There are so many more stakeholders, and I think we'll talk about that in a minute, just how many more stakeholders there are in a deal and how much more complicated and, and lengthy the sales process has gotten. So insights around not just what is the company doing, what's happening with them and their peers, what's happening with them or competitors, rather what's happening in the industry, but also on, a, on an executive level within the company. Who's, who are in the chairs to make the decisions and what are their care abouts? Uh, you know, Tom, you say the, the uh, values in the eye of the buyer, mm -hmm. right? So if you've got 20 buyers, and they all value something different. How do you identify and articulate what that value is? Because it's something different for everybody. Yeah, I think when doing outreach, Stephen, you said it really well with the Steve Clancy example, which is, you know, tell me something new. Tell me, I, tell me something I don't know. Um, as a, a seller, you're visiting with a lot of companies. You can take advantage of databases and insights and tools to help do look-alike peer comparisons on the company. Are they growing as fast as the competition? Do you maybe want to highlight that, you know, hey, I can see that compared to so-and-so and so-and-so, -and -so, you, you might be having some growth challenges. Um, and here's yep. how, you know, these companies are addressing those challenges that you might want to take advantage of. And you've got to get something insightful that is going to drive that engagement. Just asking for a meeting without indicating any value add 
or providing right. right. that over time, I don't think it works. We right. don't add to what Melody said and what you said, Tom, is that when we've shared this, you know, tell me something I don't know. I mean, we heard this over, over, over again, you know, tell me. So a lot of sellers we talked to said, well, like what? Yeah. You know, and and so uh, Candy uh, Conway, who was the former senior VP of worldwide operations at AT&T, very, very intelligent person, huge staff. So uh, her and I are friends. And I asked her, I said, Candy, we're getting this kind of feedback. I mean, tell me. She goes, no, people don't. As soon as you think I have all the answers, you've already lost. She says, yeah, I did have a big staff and I, we did have a bunch of consultants. But guess what? I'm an executive. And like others, I get so focused on the day to day stuff sometimes. I don't have that broader perspective. So exactly what you said is what she said. Don't don't give away anything confidential, but okay, everyone's going through digital transformation. You've helped implement five different deals. Tell me the couple of things that really helped make that what were the critical success factors. And as she said, tell me, tell me the bad stuff, right? Because I think a lot of times as sellers, we got these smiley faces. Well, when do I ever say, Tom, by the way, you know, 80% of the time, here are the things that are gonna, you know, uh, be a pothole. But here's how we think you can help you. So I, I would say to everyone out there, really think about the experience they have every day. You talk to a lot more companies than a lot of these executives do and tell them something they don't know. And Stephen, I think one of the things that you point out is that as individual sellers, especially some of the younger, maybe newer sellers to a team, it can be hard and intimidating to engage with an executive. So as sales enablement professionals, I think it's really important that we're arming the sellers with the content yes. they need to tell me something they don't know, right? They, expecting the sellers to come up with it on their own, I don't think works. Well, and it's, it's, a it's a team sport, Tom. You can't have you know, a guy or a lady who was a psychology major six months ago. First of all, they're probably not ready to talk to an exec anyway, but it's a team sport, right? It's the responsibility of many people within that company to say, here's our go-to-market. Here are the things that people in marketing care about. Here are the things that people in operations talk about. And it's really just wanting to, you know, if you think, I, I say this all the time about, you know, if you go to France, at least try to speak some French and then they'll talk to you, right? Mm -hmm. Or any country. So just at least try to speak my language. Um, so yeah, it's a team sport. Can't individual seller should not be responsible for this, I don't think. And and Tom, you bring up a good point. You know, whether you're early in career or whether you've been doing it forever and you think you've got it all figured out, the thing that is so valuable about understanding finances and being able to speak to business outcomes and value realization, the, the thing about that skill is once you have it, it never goes away. So in 20 years, I mean, business models can come and go and different technologies can come and go and your products can get features and functions. And isn't that cool? That's all going to come and go. But foundationally, the ways that companies care about driving performance don't change. So it, well, it lasts and lasts and lasts. And that's what, Melody, I'm so careful about tattoos because they, they last forever. Yeah. yeah. Well, the ROI guy, Monica, and, uh, you know, I, I was doing ROI before my hair was gray, and it, it honestly has not changed very much. So I, oh. I would tend to agree <laughs> Stephen, right? Well, I, I can say, Tom, <laughs> at least our hair is both gray. At least we still got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got that guy. And I love what you're saying, too, because it goes to, you know, your, your company's name, right? Finlistics is, you know, the, the linguistics of finance and being yeah, financial able to linguistics. 
you know, that is the language of the executive when everything is said and done. Um, that is what they are wrapped around every quarter when they have to report to the street, even if they're private, you know, even if they're a visionary leader, they still have to get back to finances and make it work. So we, that is a common denominator. I think that we can always have that language. If we do learn it, we can always use that language with executives. And it's differentiating because when other sellers are approaching you with, here, here's a demo, here's some features, here's a solution. You could be approaching them with consultative financial insights and information that can make a difference in their business. You know, Tom, I wish I wish we could combine resources and go into a couple of these, you know, Fortune 500 or any really good sized company and video or, or you know, record, uh, you know, executive committee meeting. And what you said is just so true. And I know you've sat in them. I've sat in them. I mean, you got the marketing person, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we're going to do. And here's how it's going to drive revenues. Right. And the, the operation people, blah, blah, blah. Here's how it's going to help improve the bottom line. Of course, as finance folks, we want everything. So. It, it is. It's just, it's just the, the language of business. And the more people can speak it. And again, you do not have to have an MBA to do this, but it will, one, better connect to certainly differentiate yourself. So what I want to do now, move through the buyer's journey a little bit. And now where we kind of got in the door, we got there, we piqued their interest. And now we've got that first meeting with the executive and the team. And Forrester indicates that in these meetings, 77% of B2B buyers want integrated, customized data or insights from sellers. And they also want sellers to help me learn something new, kind of confirming what we just said, right? Unfortunately, buyers consistently say sellers are falling short and in the virtual world have actually gotten worse. So this acumen of engaging with insights and an insight-led approach is actually on the decline with remote I think a lot of folks have reverted back to kind of some old bad selling skills. Melody, talk about that a little bit. And, you know, you're in the meeting and now you've got to leverage insights because that's what buyers want. How do sure. you? Well, it comes in with, we talk about uncovering what are the goals and strategies. You want to validate, is this still top of mind, right? And build, build, build your point of view, but approach it with a curiosity that builds credibility, shows you've done your homework, but also have that curiosity that shows you're open to being dynamic about that conversation, which could change. So once you're in the meeting, be able to be able to understand what are the care abouts for each of the people around the table, understanding that that might be different as well, tailor that message to them, but be able to adjust dynamically to talk about not only how are you helping others, maybe their peers or others in the industry, but how specifically you can, you can help them around what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Steven? And yeah, and it's really a conversation. So, you know, let's think about what happens is that, you know, I've got this high level goal. I want to increase margins by X percent. And then it starts flowing through the organization, right? Marketing, here's what you got to do about pricing, operations. So you need to do, hey, sales, quit being so wimpy and discounting prices, all that stuff. And so uh, one of the co one of the executives we talked to was Don Garibaldi, who was a senior VP of supply chain at, at P&G. Okay. And she said, by the time you get down to where a lot of sellers are talking, because most of them aren't talking to the CMO or the CEO, she goes, we've taken that goal and broken it into like 50 different initiatives, et cetera. So the, the point I want to make here is, yeah, I know the high level goal, but every all the executives said it's all right. It's all right to say, "Hey, Tom, I understand you're trying to improve margins by 200 basis points, whatever it is." And you know, here's what I know. Now, now I know that you uh, are in distribution and logistics. You know, 
what, what are your goals? What are your initiatives around expanding that? So you built credibility. And since usually at, at an operational level, this kind of thing is not in the public domain, it's okay to ask, but at least you've, you've earned the right to ask. So yeah, make, make it all about, you know, you're asking them to spend their money. You know, you're not spending money. Yeah. And what does that do, right? As, as part of that process, what it uncovers is not only additional stakeholders, but a whole different set of, of, of workflows that you may not have had visibility into. So it can, so you're plugging into more than one area. Right. And, and then as you do that and continue to address the needs across the committee, over time, what you're going to be is the holy grail, which is the strategic partner. Yeah, one of the big things we're hearing is that if you don't tie a project, even if it's got great value, business case, you know, going to have a good impact on the company, if you don't tie it to those big business objectives that the organization has, it's not going to get approved through the COVID committee and the CF no, right? <laughs> and you've got to, I think, Stephen, you said it well, kind of earn the right to get to that next set of questions and discovery by providing some insights. So you can't walk in and say, what is keeping you up at night? Or what are your <laughs> objectives, right? I mean, you can, but you know, if you're an executive, you're like, have you done any of your homework? And the answer is no, when you get questions like that. A better approach is lead with some insights. Hey, I noticed that in just looking through the financials, comparing you with these three other companies that you know I view as your peers, um, here's a couple of issues. You know, your days in inventory appears to be reported as X. Meanwhile, the industry averages Y and three of your peers are A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. you know, is that a challenge? for? And you've got to make sure you're validating it because right. you're not the expert right there living it every day. But that then earns the right to then have the discussion. And maybe that is a big issue for them, or maybe it's not. And then you can move on to the next area, but at least you've earned that credibility and that right. Yeah. And, and I like what you just said, Tom. I don't have to say, oh, Tom, I noticed that your inventories was 83.5 days and your best performing peers at 60.2. Blah, blah, blah. Just say, hey, I've noticed your, your inventories have trended upwards. Your peers have actually kind of been going down. And I understand these are some of the things that are driving the industry. So tell the house story. And, and I just, you know, I did my read, I didn't find anything specific around goals. I, I like to ask you some questions. And so, so don't please everybody. When you look at these financial trends, you know, I, I'm a doctor of finance and I love numbers, but I do not use with executives a bunch of numbers because either they're going to tune out, fall asleep or whatever it is. Just make, uh, here, here's the trend. Here's a compared to the peers. It made me think I've seen people doing this. Oh, it helped me better understand what, why, why you have this goal right now to you know, better manage inventory, whatever it might be. Tell the story, tell the story. In fact, real quick, Tom, one of the best uh, attendees or participants I had in a, in a workshop, she was terrified. Oh my God, finance, finance, oh my gosh. And she was a journalism major. So I'm not a numbers person. She told the best stories. So folks, focus on the story. Totally agree with that. One of the... Other pieces of research from Forrester, 75% of B2B prospects want sellers to show how their products and services impact the business. I know that a big part of Insight-led is business value, communication, quantification, near and dear to my heart, obviously. Um, talk about the need for value. Is it... Yeah. Where do you see it at right now? Kind of how are you advising your customers to meet the need that buyers have to 
you know, understand value. Yeah, and, and I always like to break it into two parts. So one is there's the business value, right? How can you make me more agile? How can you help me achieve my, you know, goals and strategies? And the other one, Tom, one of our favorites is the, the, the financial value. So a couple of things. One, we've done surveys that show only about 25% of sellers, once they know what the client wants, I want to expand margins. I want to grow faster, where heck it might be. Only 25% say they do a good job of aligning their solutions with the business value. So again, it's a team effort, but man, if you can't do that, I mean, forget the financial piece because I'm not even going to listen to you. So the one is think about how your solutions align with the expected business outcomes. And the second one is, depending on where you are in you know, the, the, the buyer's journey is, you know, give me some indication, you know, even if it's like, you know, Tom, here's where we've helped other companies, not sure what I can do for you. But, you know, if we could just achieve a 1% improvement, it might be worth this, not a promise, because it's early on, right? You, you want to provide this financial focus early, early on, and then work through the process to say, okay, here, here's what we think we can deliver. And just, again, pulling from some of these execs, this is uh, Jim August. He's the VP of Enterprise Architecture for a very, very large Fortune 500 insurance company. And he says, if they can't help the company uh, make, meaning grow revenues or save money, uh, they shouldn't waste their time and the customers. It's as simple as that. <laughs> and this isn't, this isn't me, the finance person saying, it. it's as simple as, hey, you know, if you can't help me grow the top line or manage this, the stuff in between or my balance sheet, don't. Don't waste my time because I'm not going to buy it. And today, as you look at how the buying journey is so different and the subscription economy, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it used to be that I own the switch. I, I can turn off the lights whenever I want to if you don't you know, renew right now. Well, that value is so much more important than ever because of this, because customers, when they eat, Regardless of the investment implementation, if in a subscription-based economy, they have the option and the right to turn it off whenever they want to. So if, if you don't have that constant <clears throat> stream of value realization and coming back and saying, these are the value stakes we set early on. Do we agree? Are we achieving them? If you don't close that loop and you have stranded value out there, you're at risk for the renewal. And, and so many of our clients are investing so heavily because of the subscription economy into a customer success organization who is the team who helps to realize the value who is the team who's responsible for the renewal so if you're not constantly pinging it you're putting yourself at risk and yeah, you know pre-sales challenge anymore with sellers right it is now across the organization where right. and selling renewals are it's as important to justify them as it was that initial sale steven yeah, I was going to say, and Melody, you, and Tom, you say this all the time, and Melody, you said realization, and that is where so many companies just fall flat. Okay, Tom, so I said that I was going to increase your cross-sell, upsell by X percent. You're going to generate this much revenues. Where, where's the customer success team following that, right? So that's where companies, and by the way, companies internally do a poor job of this too. So, you know, so, but, but I always like to tell the story. Can you, can you imagine if I went to a bank and said, I want to borrow hundred thousand dollars to start this new company and here's, I want to pay you back. And then I go back a year later, Hey Tom, I want to borrow another hundred thousand dollars. Did you pay me back the first hundred thousand? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Are you worthy to, what? you know, gain the investment this next time? I don't know. Right. 
So, hey, buy more stuff from us. Well, did I get the return on what I bought you know, last year? And as you said, Stephen, I think the important fact is that the customer themselves are not great at doing this, right? And if our customer success, success orgs are just going in there and all they're doing is talking about adoption and usage, which you need, right? That's a foundation for getting value, but it is not value in itself. No. You're the customer with, hey, our adoption is 50% or 60%. <laughs> Well, is that good or not? I don't know. You could have adoption of 10% getting huge business value out of it. And but executives are going to look at that and say, okay, we got 60% of our people using it. Is it making a difference? You got a million dollar bill here. And I think that's the other thing too, Melody, with subscription economy is it has increased. Um, these renewals are now critical mass. You know, in the beginning, it was kind of yep. little purchases, right? But now you look at a Salesforce renewal or a you know, or a, a ERP software as a service renewal. And these are mega renewals, millions of dollars every year. Right. And they're getting the CFA, CFO scrutiny at this point. So I think the, the word there is, you know, create a good baseline of value. Like you said, Stephen, what is going to be the upsell cross-sell rate? And then arm customer success to go in there and prove that indeed, those metrics were achieved. And if they haven't been achieved, what the goal is to get them to be achieved, right? Right. I think one of the challenges I see is, you know, we don't have that PhD in finance like Steve and Melody. And, you know, value can be intimidating. I think one of the things that you all have promoted for a while is this power of ones. Do you want to illuminate that a little bit more and kind of how that's a simple kind of approach, particularly in the beginning when you're trying to estimate value. Sure. Melly, why don't you take that so I don't scare anyone? Yeah. <laughs> Power of one is, is just a simple way to identify for a company where are some potential areas uh, uh, you know, for the greatest improvement. And so what, what Power of One does is it takes a, a key performance indicator, a KPI, and as we look at different industries, there are different KPIs that matter to industries, right? Manufacturing cares about fixed asset utilization, for an example, whereas a bank doesn't. So, mm -hmm. so how do you identify what these different KPRs, KPIs are by industry? And then you apply just what does a 1% improvement in this KPI mean financially? What is the do resulting dollar benefit or cash flow benefit associated with just a 1% improvement? And 1% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're, when you're talking to these companies, 1% can be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And so maybe your solution can deliver a half a percent improvement. Maybe it can deliver 5%. I mean, the, the point is just to say, start with 1% and understand just the order of magnitude that just a small tweak can improve in financial performance. That's the key for power of one. And that's that's often where we recommend people to start with their financial research because it's an easy thing it's not intimidating. It's an easy thing to understand. Power of one. What's the biggest number? Okay, let me focus on that. It's really that simple. Yeah, and you're I agree. Customer about, you know, is it going to be 5% or a half a percent? It's just, hey, for modeling sake, percent impact means, is this something that we should be concentrating on because it's a KPI that's going to make a difference? Or is the 1% you know, not significant. And we should probably look for other areas that we can impact your business, right? Good. Tom, I, I was going to add too that this power of one, they don't necessarily call it that, but a lot of our friends out there, customers already do this. 
I mean, I've been, as you, as you said, I've, I've consulted for a lot of the fortune 500 and I can tell you, you know, at the plant level, because all the, all the low lying fruits been collected. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're always trying to find that next, now it's door to, you know, door to door combat. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times what would a 1% improvement in yield would be? What would be an improvement of a, you know, a 1% improvement in, in cross sell upsell, let's say if I'm a banker. So your customers are already doing this. And it's also a great way to find out what they're up to. So let's say, Tom, you're in manufacturing and you, you share with me, you're trying to reduce labor. And so well, for a company your size, using some industry averages, it's worth 10 million, mm-hmm. right? And you, you'll go, okay, well, that's pretty close. Now I can say, Tom, so what's your goal? Well, I want to take 5% up. Tom's just told us he wants 50 million. Well, how much of that can we deliver? So it's, it's an easy concept and, and your customers are using it and it's not a promise. When it comes to aligning the solution to the ultimate outcome, we have research study after research study that indicates that that is an area where sellers are definitely falling short. How do you advise sellers to be able to make sure that the solution alignment to the savings is there and that there's proof points to kind of back it up? Yeah, well, well, for starters, you better have some use cases, some case studies, right? Because it, it's all math. Tom, you and I have, I'm not saying you have, but I have, we made up all kinds of ROIs in our lives. So that's just math, right? So the first thing is, okay, share with me where you've done this. And ideally, I like to talk to someone about it. So just make me feel comfortable that what you're saying even makes sense. And then the second thing is, is, you know, based on here's how we've helped others. And that's why it's so important to measure how much you've helped others, because otherwise you're just kind of making it up. Mm-hmm. Right. And like I said, this is a team sport. It's not to the individual seller. So once you've told me where you've done it, how you've done it, give me some insights into how much, you know, work with my team, you know, at, at the company and say, okay, well, here's how much I'm willing to buy off on because I know our CFO is going to say, oh, you're going to go for a 2% increase. You know, you've got to collaborate with the team to see what they're comfortable with, but explain to them, you know, over and over again about, you know, here, here's how it would work, but also, Here's some of the pitfalls. You know, we could have this great enterprise asset management solution. It's going to automate all this stuff. In fact, it's a true story. One of our customers, they got like 80% adoption. Nothing changed because I, I collected all the data. I didn't do anything with it. So tell, tell the story. Hopefully, the, the range of improvement initially is based upon, um, you know, what you've done with others. And then collaborate with the, your, your customer just say, what is in the range of reasonableness? What are they willing to sign up for? But also, what are the pitfalls? Melody, we know that there are more people involved in every decision now, and each stakeholder can have a different point of value. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about how you recommend folks address that challenge with so many decision makers of different roles involved in every decision. Sure. Um, well, there are, there are common ways as you do your research. If you look across the industry, there are some common things that in the industry is trying to achieve and there are common ways of achieving those, right? So first, if you're doing background and you don't know, you don't know yet, you wanna come up with your value hypothesis, you can do that homework to say, these are some common initiatives. These are some different functional areas that are responsible for it. The way that IT delivers against it is is different than the way that marketing is responsible for delivering against it. So understand potential different functional areas. But with with the customer, it's an easy thing to ask or a prospect to say, 
what is your decision-making process? Who is on the committee? And, and as you answer that, as you get that, you're going to hear lots of names, some of whom you, whom you may know, some of whom you may not know. And so then if you can understand, how, how are we being measured? What's your scorecard? There's common language that you can ask, basically, what are you on the hook for without saying, tell me how you're paid, right? Or tell me what you're responsible for. What's your scorecard? And, and when you ask those questions, once you've earned the right based on your curiosity, based on a, a credible point of view, you'll, you'll begin to understand that. And, and my scorecard would be different than yours, Tom. And so how do you, how do you identify that and pivot that, that message to address the value for each one of those stakeholders? I love that. So Stephen, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Evolvers community with today? Tell me something I don't know. There's you, you have a lot of knowledge as a team, you have a lot of knowledge. As I said, I just think that some people think, gee, I'm talking to these executives, they know everything, they got these huge staffs or whatever it is. Tell me something I don't know, and you're going to differentiate yourself from a huge percentage of other sellers out there. I love it. Melody? Um, I would say you do not. This is so foundational to business and to the speak of executives and their mindset of the executives. It is so foundational. If you don't do it, you're leaving something on the table. It's a skill that lasts forever and you do not need to have an MBA in finance or a PhD in finance to be able to have this conversation. CMO likely doesn't have a, an MBA in finance, right? But he or she has to speak this language too. So if they can do it, why can't, why can't you do it? So just get started. Completely agree. Guys, how can folks find and reach you online? Melody, you're the you're our, our sales and marketing person. Uh, yes. Well, of course, you can go to finlistics.com. Uh, we have insightledselling.com as well, which provides some materials from the book. I encourage you to go to that. And then, of course, uh, find us on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or any, any of the channels we're there. And then if you wanted to reach us, um, you can you can hit us up at info at finlistics.com. Yeah, and I, I want to add, Tom, on uh, the resources that we have available either on our website or on LinkedIn. We give a lot. There's a lot of stuff there. I think it's because of the professor. I mean, like knowledge should be free. Melody hates that when I say it. Anyway, so um, no, there's a lot of good stuff out there just to get you started. And we're not going to like bug you to death or something like that. So we're real big believers in, hey, we're, we're all in this together. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. And, and the book, go out to amazon.com and look for either me or Melody. Uh, and again, it's Insight-Led Selling. And we will include a couple of those links, your LinkedIn address and the Insight-Led Selling as part of the meeting notes. Guys, Stephen and Melody, thank you so much for participating today. Make the Evolvers a great and growing community. No, thanks, Tom, for having us. Good to catch up. Thanks, Tom. And Evolvers, I hope we've helped you evolve in some way. Please. Exactly. And evolvers keep evolving. Thank you. <laughs>